How y'all doing? Who said Marlon and Liana were allowed to go anywhere? If they'd have called me, I'd have squashed that whole deal right there. I'd have said, no way. I love those two, man. They're, they're, they're good people. Um, you know, I love all of you too. Y'all are, y'all are good people too. Me, I don't know. Some days good, some days not so good. Like that song says, sometimes up, sometimes down. Hopefully I'm up today because I got to preach the word here. They told me I got to do it right now, so I'm just trying to make sure I get everything right on here. Yeah, it looks like it works. Awesome. You guys are awesome up there, by the way. Thank, thank the AV and the, I mean, seriously. It's not easy. I mean, last minute requests. I appreciate all the worship team getting here early. The ushers, you know, they get here early. Appreciate our police officer outside, you know, um, really grateful for everyone that serves and uh, Joe and uh, the parking guys, all our folks helping out in the children's ministry. It takes a lot, right, to, to get this thing going, you know, uh, and I think it's good to verbalize that uh, every now and then. So uh, we're going to, but we're going to continue, we're going to continue our Exodus series. We're going to end it next week. So next Sunday will be the, the last message uh, in our, our series on Exodus, and uh, I hope that it's been inspiring to you and helpful to you in your faith. I've enjoyed learning. I, I love just getting into God's Word and just hunkering down and trying to see what God can teach us. Uh, I, I really believe that God gave us His Word not so that we could be entertained, but so that we could be transformed and really help fulfill that promise He gave to Abraham that, you know, He's going to change the world through people that follow Him and uh, in a powerful way, and it's not, it's not a naive statement. Um, that's not Pollyanna. That is truly what God's plan has been, is to change the world through people of faith, people that have faith in him and who he is. And uh, it's been inspiring to study this. And, and today, uh, you know, we're going we're gonna to talk about getting Egypt out of Israel. And uh, you go, Jeff, that's a total and complete misprint. You're supposed to put, you know, get Israel out of Egypt. That's what you're supposed to put. And, and here's the deal. The reality is, it took a lot to get Israel out of Egypt. Did it not? They were enslaved for centuries in Egypt by a superpower in that day. I'm talking military, political. They were a superpower, Egypt was. And it took a lot to extricate a couple million people right under the nose of one of the great superpowers of that time to just get them out. With, with miracles and wonders and signs and power. I mean, it was not an easy task to get Israel out of Egypt. But guys, by far, I believe the harder task was to get Egypt out of Israel. All those years living in Egypt, adopting all the practices of the Egyptians, living life as basically in the culture of Egyptians, all of those centuries was all still in the hearts of the Israelites. And so today we're going to really kind of look at that, how hard it was for God to really get Egypt out of the hearts of his people. And uh, we're going to look at really some of the things that he was trying to instill in their hearts. We're going to look at a little bit of that. And then we're going to honestly, we're going to look at a moment when they just showed just how hard it is to really live sometimes the way God wants us to live. 
but it's not impossible. And, uh, and so we'll look at that in the time that we have this morning. So let's go to God in prayer and prayerfully he'll use this time this morning. Well, Father, we are grateful to be able to assemble in this way, uh, to be able to sing about Jesus and how, though he was lowly, he is our friend. And to, to sing about how you are alive and, and uh, just how amazing you are. Father, I'm grateful to, to be a part of a family and grateful that we have congregations all over the world. And uh, grateful we have a congregation in the Bay Area that uh, the Branleys can go to and be connected with. Father, I pray this morning that when we look at these scriptures that we really try to learn and grow, be changed, be willing to be challenged, and uh, not be defensive. And uh, Father, I just pray that we can be humble. I pray your spirit is powerful among us. I pray that we realize that this isn't just a meeting, that there's a million meetings that could be happening all over Atlanta, but that we are meeting for a specific reason and wanting to really honor you and reflect your image into this world. What a high calling, Father. And I pray that we really look at what you have done for us, the grace that you have bestowed upon us, and really reflect on that so that that can motivate us to live in a way that would honor you and bring you glory and quite honestly to change this fallen, broken, and dark world. So use this time. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. We're gonna look at Exodus 21 verse one to start. These are the laws you are to set before them. So what is the setting? We've already had two weeks on the 10 commandments, right? We had two weeks on that, where we looked at how God gave th these words to his people, okay? And this was God kind of giving them ways to approach him. You know, half of the commandments are really how to approach him. Don't worship any other gods, right? Don't have any other gods before me. I'm the one. Don't make any idols. It kind of really helped them orient themselves where God is, is, is number one in their lives. And then there were commandments to kind of help them deal with each other, right? You can't go around killing each other. Don't be sleeping with each other's wives. And all. I mean, just giving them ways to live, okay? And so after, after that, he, he kind of got a little deeper into it and, and would kind of get deeper, right, and give, explain a little bit more. And so that's where we are in the context. These are the laws that you are to set before him. And, and this word laws can, is used all over the scriptures and used in different ways, just like many of our English words we use in different ways. But this one I, I, I wanted to, to take a moment to talk about because I do think it's an important concept that sometimes we don't really think about much. Um, but this word for laws, it can be translated a lot of different ways, but it's a, it's a word that really mishpat, which can, can mean judgment, justice, ordinances, decisions, and that's the heart of what God was trying to say. You know, this is, this is what it's all about. This, these, these are the decisions that I've come to that I want you to understand. And mishpat, this word shows up all over Scripture. And, and what it really gets at is this is how to treat people justly and equitably. Okay? And you go, well, sure, right, that, that makes sense. But you don't understand that 
in this day and age, when, the, when God gave these laws to his people, this wasn't the way most societies operated. Okay? It wasn't about mishpat. It wasn't about treating people equally and justly. It was usually pretty much whoever's running things just decides what they want to do. And that, that's just the way it goes. Whoever is the king or the, the, the sovereign of whatever territory you're in, they're going to pretty much decide what's going to go down. And you're going to have to deal with it. And, uh, but when God is giving the people how to live, he's, he, he uses this concept over and over again. Mishpat, treat people justly. Give people their rights and privileges. And it's, it's astounding um, because when he initially starts going into it, guess who he starts talking about? He starts talking about slaves. And you go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Slaves don't need any. They don't earn anything. They don't have any privileges or rights. <laughs> and when you look at Exodus 21, he immediately starts talking about the rights that, that people that are slaves had. Okay? And, and even to the point where he says, you know, if you are an owner, of a slave, and, you, and you, you hit a male, or what? A male or what? Female. Female gets mishpat in this day and age? What? And if you, if you hit him in the eye and destroy it, you got to let him go free, and then you need to compensate him. And an owner who knocks out the tooth of a male or female slave must let the slave go free to compensate for the tooth. This law at this time in the ancient Near East culture was absolutely revolutionary. You don't give slaves mishpat. They don't deserve it. They haven't earned it. They're, they're property. You can treat them however you want. You can knock their eye out. They probably deserved it. You know? And we in the, in the southern United States of America... When we see the word slave, we get absolutely freaked out because we bring in concepts that were foreign to slavery at this time. Just so you know, they're totally different concepts in many ways. Oftentimes, that was actually a way for a person to pay off debt. They would put themselves under the ownership of somebody else so that they could kind of get their life and, and be fed and taken care of and take care of their family. And it wasn't this take them from another country and bring them up. That, that's not what this was about. Okay, so... Sometimes we have to kind of let the Bible speak in its time to the situation that it was dealing with at the time, okay? And so I just think that sometimes we need to say that. But here's, here's a, so here's a group of people, slaves, that get mishpat. Wow, who, who, who knew? But who else? Exodus 22, do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner, for you were foreigners in Egypt. What's he getting at here? Wait, you know? Hey, hey guys, remember where you were the last four centuries? You were a foreigner in Egypt. Remember how you were treated? Yeah, yeah don't do that to other people. And, and, and here's the deal. We've seen that in, in even modern history. If you've, even, if you've even paid any attention to apartheid, right? Right? And in South Africa, right? Apartheid, just a, a deep oppression of, of the, 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 the less, the minority, right? Uh, of the whites oppressing deeply and setting up a system of, of government and culture that really oppressed African blacks. And, and then all of a sudden, Mandela, right, he gets free and he's in charge. And guess what the, the temptation was? Oh, now we in charge, right? And so now let us do to them what they did to us. But what did Mandela do? We're not going to be like that. 
We're not gonna, we're not gonna go to that place. So, so I'm just saying this, this concept, this is human nature, right? Once you get, you've been oppressed, now you get set free, now it's time to give it back to, God's like, don't do that. You were, remember who you were. Remember how it felt when you were in Egypt. And even this concept, mistreat, what does it mean? It means to do wrong, to, to, to vex, to oppress. And what it is, it's the exact opposite. It's the exact opposite of loving your neighbor as yourself, Leviticus 19. It's the opposite of it. When you mistreat, vex, do wrong to, you're doing the exact opposite of what God calls his people to do. And literally, you need to love your neighbor. And that's not just a New Testament concept, right? That, that was always in, the, that was in Leviticus 19 as well. Do you see how revolutionary this is, what God's words to his people were? He's fashioning a society in the midst of craziness, and he's given them this concept of treating people justly, equitably. Because most of the time, there were laws, and you can study this out in this time, where if you were a nobleman and someone did something bad to you, ooh, that person's, that person's punishment was going to be high. But if they did it to a peasant, eh, whatever. They might not even get, you know, in trouble. Because don't mess with a nobleman. They're high on the scale. But now nah, God says mishpat. Treat people equally, even if they're a foreigner, even if they come from another country. Slaves, foreigners, don't deny justice to who? Don't, don't do that. Don't take advantage of poor people. Don't do it. Again, revolutionary. To even consider to make a law for somebody that was poor. Unheard of in this, in this time. Slaves, foreigners, poor people. Here's a couple other groups of people. Do not take advantage of a what? Or what? Don't do it. Because if you do, and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. My anger will be aroused. And I will kill you with the sword. And your wives will become the widows. And your children, they'll be the fatherless ones. You try to take this out of context if you want. God means every word he says. Do you think he's serious? This is a strong statement from God. This is directly from God. And I believe he wanted the Israelites to understand something. Turn to the beginning of Exodus, people. Guess who was crying out? The Israelites. And guess who heard their cry? This same God. And did God act? Yes, he did. You know, sometimes as a parent, you want to remind your children. <laughs> right? That old saying, hey, I brought you in this world. I can take you out, right? I mean, it's like, hey, you need to respect where I'm coming from right here. I'm not messing around. This is serious. Widows, totally marginalized in society. No male to take care of them. Literally could be left literally on the side of the road like an orphan and starved to death in societies where resources are scarce. I mean, that is a, these, this, these are the most vulnerable people really there are in so many ways. 
And so one of, uh, there's a book out there by a guy named Nicholas Walterstorff, and it's called Justice, and I read about half of it. And he has this, uh, he calls, and it's this Christian-based book about justice, and he calls the widows, the orphans, the poor, and the foreigners the quartet of the vulnerables. And that's what he calls them. And, and th- these are the types of people that God specifically called on his people to take care of in special ways with even fear of punishment if they don't, (laughs) which is the exact opposite of every other society in the ancient Near East in many ways. We need to give God the glory. He's always been gracious. Stop saying the Old Testament God is not the same God. He's always a gracious God. Always has been. Open up your Bible and read it. And if you go, well, I don't really know any widows, I don't know any orphans, okay, poor people, yeah, but I live in East Cod, I don't see them that often. Foreigners, I mean, if I live close to the border, maybe I'd really have to think about that. No, okay, well, let me help you out then. The terms aliens, widows, orphans, poor, needy are not intended to be an exhaustive list of certain categories of people. Instead, they are intended to be evocative of the entire range of disadvantaged, unprotected, and easily mistreated individuals. Right? And groups in ancient times. Yahweh would not allow his people to act in a discriminatory manner. Their calling was to a higher standard, which reflected his own compassion to all. This is the heart of God, people. We, we should have a higher calling when we think about those who are disadvantaged. Right? unprotected, easily mistreated. This is the heart of God. You say, oh, again, Jeff, this is the old covenant. Okay, well, think about the new covenant real quick, if you really want to go there. Think about, think about Luke's gospel. Guess, guess what? Of all the gospel writers, you, Luke had a unique uh, role. You know why? He wasn't Jewish. He was an outsider. Did you know that? Some of you might not know that. Luke was a foreigner. He was a Gentile but he was still allowed to write a gospel and it's in your Bibles, right? So if, 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 if this concept of taking care of foreigners wasn't involved, maybe Luke never gets to write it. Maybe they exclude him too much. And in Luke's gospel, guess what? Of all the gospels, guess which one focuses on the marginalized the most? Luke's gospel. Plenty of stuff about widows, people that are ostracized, lepers, tax collectors, all that. Women, sinful woman, right? She's at the Pharisee's house, right? But the sinful woman is the one that kind of gets lifted up. Let me tell a story, Jesus says in Luke's gospel. And guess who the hero is? A Samaritan. This is Luke's gospel because he's trying to help you understand something. And the very first sermon that Jesus preaches in Luke's gospel, what does Jesus say? He goes, hey, remember in Isaiah, you know, Jesus said, I'm here to take care of the oppressed and the poor, to set people free. That's why I'm, this is Jesus' first recorded sermon in Luke's gospel, the foreigner, the Gentile. <laughs> okay, so this isn't just an Old Testament concept. Jesus said, he said, hey, these words are fulfilled in me right now. This is who I am. I'm bringing God's kingdom here. Don't worry about the Roman kingdom. This is the kingdom that matters. And he brought that. And wherever Jesus went, God's heart, God's mishpat went with him, right? And so, and guess what? This is what changed the world. And, and even after this time, 
Second century, right? Hundred years, whatever, after Jesus dies. This is a guy, a critic of Christianity. Look what he says. These Christians, their aim is to convince only worthless and contemptible people, idiots, slaves, poor women and children. These are the only ones who they manage to turn into believers. God, why? Because of God's heart, God's mishpat. That's what he's been saying since the beginning. So this is the, these are the types of heart attitudes that people that have followed God have always had. They were known for this. They were known for it. And when you study the beginning of hospitals and orphanages, they have Christian roots. Who forms your view on how to take care of the poor, the foreigner, the widow? Where do you get your mindset on how to think about? What words do you say when you talk about the foreigner, the poor, the disadvantaged? They get what they deserve. They're lazy. If they would just follow the laws. What, what, what kingdom are you representing when you talk about the poor, the widow, the foreigner? What, what, what is in your heart? Is it formulated by political pundits? Or is it formulated from what you see from God's people from day one? Mishpat. And God made promises to his people. He said, look, look at Deuteronomy 15, stuff like that. Look, take care of people. Take care of them. Remember Ruth, Boaz. What was, going, what was going on, though? What was happening in that day and age? Look at the end of Judges. People were just doing whatever they wanted to do. And so Ruth, right, she's trying to find some food. Widow, poor, woman, trying to figure it out. But she finds Boaz, and Boaz tells her, you better stay on my property because I'm the only one following the, what God's heart is because people have left God's law. There's no mishpot other places, but on my property, you'll find mishpot. You'll find, because God said, don't, don't harvest everything. Leave some on the fringes for the poor people. That's what God told people. That's what he told them. He said, leave stuff. Think about in America if that were happen. You'd go to a business owner. Hey, don't maximize your profits. Hey, how dare you infringe on my right to make more money? You know. I'm going to call my senator, my congressman, right? It, that would be crazy to some people. L literally, God says, don't maximize your profits. Leave some of your harvest on the fringes for the poor people. And you say, what will make a person do that? They've internalized the heart of God. And it influences the way they view the world. And God promised, and he said, look, if you do what I tell you, there'll be more crops than you can handle. Don't worry about it. Trust me, I got you. You got the resources, I'll give you the resources. Don't worry about it. Imagine that in this day and age. Who forms your view of the widow, the foreigner, the poor? Is it God? Is it centuries of, of God-based teaching? Or is it the latest political party or TV show? I think that's a hard question for us to answer. I think we need to look in the mirror and just see who, whose image are we reflecting in our world where we live. I think it's a, it's a question worth answering. 
That's part one of the sermon today. And in the last two minutes, part two. <laughs> so we see, we, we see what God was trying to instill in his people. And he'd given them all this, right? And they had all agreed. So they've, all, they've already agreed. Yes, we'll do everything you say, <laughs> right? And so Moses, amen, he goes and he, he's up there. And literally Moses is up there for 40 days with God, receiving like literally written by the finger of God. Again, there's no human king writing this stuff, thinking it up. This is straight from God. Moses is up on the mountain. He's been there like 40 days. And the people know he's up there for crying out loud. There's only one mountain, right? They know Moses is up there. There's all kind of stuff happening. They know where Moses is, right? Aaron stays back, right? It's 40 days. When the people saw that Moses was so long, my goodness, it's been 40 days. I mean, I know we were in Egypt for four centuries, but we can't wait 40 days, guys. They gathered around Aaron and said, hey, Aaron, hey, man, here's the deal. You need to change up the worship services, bro. I'm not feeling what you're doing. I'm not feeling it. We need to do some stuff like we did back in the day. You know what I mean? We need to make up some gods who will go before us. As for that cat Moses, that dude is a wanderer. I don't even know where he's at. He's up on the mountain. I don't know. So he, you know, that guy Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we, we don't even know what, what happened to him. So we need to change some things up. Okay? And so Aaron, of course, who was with Moses and had the staff and saw Moses do all these things and was with God and... Of course, Aaron said, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. If you do that, we, gonna, we just got 10 commandments. You're going to jack up the first two in like 10 minutes. <laughs> Come on, people. Relax. We got this. God knows what we need. He brought us this far. If we just follow him, well, it, obviously he wants us here if, because we're here. Yeah. When he wants us to leave the wilderness, we'll leave the wilderness. So obviously this isn't the time. Let's just trust God. That's what Aaron said. Well, not really. Aaron said, okay, give me all your bling. Give it to me. Hook me. Let's go. <laughs> Pass the plate. Drop your earrings, your rings, everything. Where'd they get that stuff from? Exactly. Wow. Which was supposed to hook them up. Hey, this is, here's a little something for you. You're going to leave with, with victory, right? We're leaving Egypt with all this stuff now. Wow, craziness. Your sons, your daughters, whatever they're wearing, bring them to me. So all the people took off their rings, brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him, made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Yes. The heart of you and me on full display. We can know what God's word is to us but we don't often know what's really in our hearts. A lot of us don't wait well. Do you know what I mean? We have to learn how to wait well. We have to get good at waiting. That's a part of being created, right? We're not the creator, we're not running things, okay? And so we've got to actually wait well. Show the world how to wait. How to, how to spiritually wait on God and to internalize what God has, has called us to do, but they, they refuse to do it. 
And what else did they want? They wanted to worship their way instead of God's way. Simple as that. We want to do it our way. We know God has a way, but we're going to do it our way. Uh, we want to gratify ourselves more than we want to glorify God. That's what they're saying. Because, you know, when you read on, I don't have time to read it, but you should read it. Read this chapter. And if your jaw doesn't hit the ground at some point, you're out of touch. Because they get up and they, they, they have a worship service, all right. Bible says revelry. <laughs> they had revelry. They were fired up, lots of noise. But they were not doing what God wanted them to do. And this is disobedience because we disobey a lot of times and we won't. We refuse to wait well and we lack trust that God's going to take us where we need to be when it's best. And we want to take it into our own hands. And there you have the story of Israel and the story, honestly, of you and me, if we're honest. When we get ourselves into the biggest trouble, it's a lot of times the disobedience. We just think that we want to do what we want to do. Self-gratification trumps the glorifying God. That's what happens. Okay? And that, because we don't often know what's in our hearts, and we got to realize Egypt is deep in our hearts, guys. It's deep, deep in there. The cow gave no law, he means the golden calf, gave no law and demanded no obedience. It had no wrath or mishpat or holiness to be feared. It was deaf, dumb, and impotent. But at least it could not intrude on their fun and call them to judgment. This was a religion designed by men, practiced by men, and ultimately useless for men. This, my brothers and sisters, is religion today in so many ways. Just give me what I want. Give me the music I want. Give me the preaching style I want. You know, all that. Stay out of my life. Don't tell me nothing about God's judgment or fearing God or none of that junk. Just give me the stuff that makes me feel good. Tell me if I follow God, I'm going to make money. I'm going to be rich because he wants to put his favor on me and make me happy and all that kind of stuff. Man, you better watch out. God knows what we need. We need to not be so focused on our own wants and desires, and that's why he sets the world up. Put me first. Don't worship anybody else. Don't make idols and stuff like that. Don't do that. It takes your vision and your heart away. If you stay focused on me, you'll actually have a life that is gratifying to you, and you'll actually help those around you instead of destroying their lives with your self-centeredness. So if you worship me the way I prescribe, if you live the way I teach you, then you can have fulfillment. Don't settle. Don't settle for that which is worthless because in the end, it makes you worthless. God knows what we need, right? In closing, I'm going to read this passage. I'm not going to show it to you. 1 John 2. Verse 15, <clears throat> excuse me. Don't set the affections of your heart on this world or in loving the things of the world. The love of the Father and the love of the world are incompatible. For all that the world can offer us, the gratification of our flesh, the allurement of the things of the world, and the obsession with status and importance, 
None of these things come from the Father, but from the world. This world and its desires are in the process of passing away. But those who love to do the will of God live forever. Let us search our hearts and ask God to help us love to do his will so that we won't end up in this spot like they were on the bottom of Mount Sinai, but we can go out into this world and treat people equitably, justly, no matter what their status is, because that is the heart of God. Amen. Thank you. Thank you.